Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer from Dance World Podcast, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with my former professor, researcher, and educator, Dr. Vincent Racaniello, on the subject of vaccination. I have very intentionally selected Vincent to discuss this subject as he's hands down one of the most knowledgeable individuals when it comes to viruses and vaccines. He has dedicated his life to studying the topic and disseminating evidence-based information to the community in support of public health and wellness. So I've wanted to present an episode on vaccination for some time and think that now, as we're headed into flu season and into a time when a lot of us will be performing nutcracker or holiday seasons and be in cramped spaces where the flu can easily spread, it's as perfect a time as ever to share this information with you. I've been surprised over the years to hear that a lot of dancers I work with don't vaccinate or believe in vaccination for a variety of reasons while simultaneously being concerned about taking ill. Being sick not only takes a toll on your own health and wellness, but can also have quite a ripple effect on those you work with and come into contact with on a daily basis. In a time when we are particularly divided as a country, I also want to be careful not to alienate anyone in the discussion of the subject. So yes, while it is clear that my opinion on vaccines is that people should have them. I invite you all to listen with an open mind and to explore with some of the explore some of the well-researched and vetted resources that Vincent shares with us on this episode. I also understand that some of the information can be tricky to grasp or understand, so I encourage you to reach out to Vincent or to us if you have any questions about the content of this episode. Vincent Racaniello is Higgins Professor of Microbiology and Immunology at the Vallejos College of Physicians and Surgeons of Columbia University. He received a BA in Biology from Cornell University in 1974 and a PhD in Biomedical Sciences from Mount Sinai School of Medicine in the City University of New York, where he worked on influenza viruses with Peter Palazzi. His postdoctoral work with Dr. David Baltimore at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology led to the production of the first infection DNA clone of an RNA virus. In 1982, he joined the Columbia University faculty where he began work on the mechanisms of poliovirus replication and pathogenesis. His group identified the cell receptor for poliovirus and established a transgenic mouse model for poliomyelitis. In the ensuing years, CD155TG mice and infectious poliovirus DNA were used to study different aspects of poliovirus pathogenesis, including the mechanism of poliovirus tropism, the molecular basis for attenuation of the live Sabine vaccine strains, how poliovirus spreads in the host, and the role of three prime untranslated region of the genome in virulence. His laboratory also studied fundamental aspects of the polio replication in cell culture, including translation and RNA synthesis, and the interaction of poliovirus and rhinovirus with the innate immune system. More recently, his laboratory has initiated work on the emergent Zika virus and enterovirus D68. Dr. Racaniello is the recipient of an Irma T. Herschel Career Scientist Award, the Searley Scholars Award, the Eli Lilly Award of the American Society for Microbiology in 1992, and the NIH Merit Award. He was a Harvey Society lecturer, university lecturer at Columbia University, the first land professor at Vanderbilt University, the Hillman lecturer at the University of Chicago, and the Julius Younger lecturer at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Racaniello has served as an editor, for the Journal of Virology, the Journal of Clinical Investigation, and Plus, Plus Pathogens. He was a member of the WHO Steering Committee on Hepatitis Polio, Chair of the Virology Study Section of the NIH, Co-Chair of the Gordon Conference on Viruses and Cells. 
He was president of the American Society for Virology in 2015 and is the recipient of the 2019 Education Award from the American Society for Microbiology. Following on his belief that scientists must communicate their work to the public, he has co-authored a virology textbook, Principles of Virology, ASM Press, taught virology, distributed video casts of his lectures online, written a blog about viruses, and produced podcasts on viruses, parasites, bacteria, evolution, and immunology. His goal is to be Earth's virology professor, which I believe he is. He's a phenomenal professor, and we are very lucky to have him on Dancewell. Thank you, Vincent. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. Today, you are in for traction. Hi, hello. This is Ellie Kushner, and this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and I'm here with Dancewell Podcast. And welcome, Vincent, to Dancewell. Thanks for having me. Yes. So, um, let's start with a basic question. Can you talk to us a little bit about how vaccinations work? A vaccine is a modified form of a microbe Mm -hmm. that you're given and it protects you from infection again without making you sick. Mm -hmm. That's a a key point. Can you define for our listeners a microbe? So a microbe could be a virus or a bacterium. Those are the two most common that we have in our vaccines. Mm -hmm. But technically fungi could be microbes as well mm-hmm. you know the original microbiology was founded because you needed to use a microscope mm-hmm. to see things mm-hmm. so our vaccines mostly cover viruses and bacteria so that's what i mean by microbe microbe thank you um and if it is what did you say an altered form of a microbe some altered form, mm-hmm. right? We we can alter it in a number of ways, mm-hmm. and usually there are three. We can use the microbe in its infectious form. So for a bacteria, it would be alive. Mm-hmm. For a virus, it would be infectious. And you modify it in some way so it doesn't make you sick. Mm-hmm. And the best example would be flu mist or one of the Sabin polio vaccines, mm-hmm. which are given to you and they multiply in you. Another way you could, the second way would be to inactivate the infectivity of either the bacteria or the virus. Mm-hmm. And then you're given that. It does not multiply in you, but it still gives you immunity. Mm-hmm. And so most of the flu vaccines are, are inactivated like that. The, some, many of the polio vaccines as well. And then a third form, which is more modern, is we can use a piece of the microbe. Mm -hmm. Not the whole microbe, but a piece of it. Uh, And like the papillomavirus vaccines, we take one protein of the virus and we make the vaccine from that. The the brand new shingles vaccine Mm -hmm. is one protein from the virus. The virus has many, many proteins. It's just one protein. And it's incredibly effective. And if you go to CVS today, you can't get it because they are, they have a big line of people who are lining up, mostly over 50, because that's who gets the shingles, shingles. vaccines. Yeah. But it works so well. Everybody wants it. <laughs> anyway, so those are the three. Great. You have the, the microbe that's infectious, the microbe that's inactivated, mm-hmm. or a piece of the microbe. Okay, so that gets injected into you, the activated of the piece or whatnot, and 
And then what? Like, how does it work once it's been injected? Okay, so it can be injected or sprayed in your nose or eaten. Sure, okay. You can do three things. And so obviously spraying in your nose or eating it, eating would be like the polio vaccines. You drink them. They're easy because you need no training to give those. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we haven't reached that point for most vaccines. Most of our vaccines are still injected and typically intramuscular right into your muscle. Mm-hmm. So a small volume of vaccine containing the virus or the bacterium in some form goes into your muscle and it's then recognized by your immune system, which consists of a variety of cells that are there to protect you from infections. And your immune system sees this foreign stuff that's being injected into you, uh, and it begins to react to it. And it will make a variety of substances, Mm -hmm. one of which we call antibodies, Mm -hmm. uh, which will remain with you for your life. And we call this immune memory. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if you ever encounter this pathogen, uh, you will immediately, your body will immediately say, aha, I know that, I've seen it before, and we can take care of it. So by that last piece, you mean like if I, let's say I got, um, I got the flu vaccination and it was for a strain of flu that I was then exposed to right and then that the the active the real virus of the flu that's inside of me now my body now recognizes it and says okay now i can um now i can create a defense i can destroy the virus within you and you won't actually get the virus more or less so yes for flu is a good example because you go get a flu vaccine in the fall and then sometime in the next six months you encounter flu virus Mm -hmm. from someone else from the air and when that comes in you, your body's already seen it before, so it's ready to make a defense very quickly. Right. Instead of it making you sick and then having you make a defense, you avoid the sick part. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's the same with any of these vaccines, polio, measles. You get the vaccine, your body goes through the motion of making the antibodies and other protections, and then it remembers that. Mm-hmm. And memory is a key part of vaccines. Because then when you're then infected, you very quickly respond. When you get a vaccine, it takes about two weeks to develop this response Mm -hmm. that will then remain with you. Uh, But if you then are infected with the actual virus, say, it's just a few days that you respond instead of two weeks. That's that's why you don't get sick, because you respond very quickly. Right, absolutely. Um, Does every vaccination like once you're vaccinated does that mean that you have complete immunity um, from said bacteria or whatnot in theory but Mm -hmm. of course it nothing ever works in theory in the world Mm -hmm. so no vaccine is a 100 percent effective which means if i took 100 people and injected them all with a flu vaccine Mm -hmm. not all of them would be protected Mm -hmm. the percentage varies depending on the vaccine that we're talking about and it depends on the population you know here in the u.s versus somewhere else uh, the fraction could be different but it's typically it depends on the vaccine also some vaccines are better than others some can get you in the 90 percentile so the the shingles vaccine we were just talking about Mm -hmm. 
in the one big trial that it was subjected to gave a hundred percent protection. Wow. Now that's unusual. Yeah. Um, some vaccines work in the nineties. When you get down into 50, 60%, that's not great, mm -hmm. but some vaccines are down there as well. Mm -hmm. And these are ones that we need to improve. Now, flu vaccines are notoriously not that's what I was gonna bring great. Up. Mm -hmm. 50 to 60%. This we call efficacy. In other words, what fraction of people are going to be protected right. who are vaccinated? And we would love it to be 100%, but it rarely is. Mm -hmm. for, because it's, it's a, you know, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people who are genetically different, and there's no way they're all going to respond in the same way. Right, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about the flu vaccine? Mm -hmm. um, why is it that it has such a low, um, why is it not super effective? All the time. So flu vaccine is a uh, is an odd one because the virus changes from year to year, mm -hmm. and it confounds our vaccine. And so, as a consequence, we have to get the flu vaccine every year, which is a real problem in itself. You know, if you if you went as a child and got your vaccine and didn't have to get one the rest of your life, this mm -hmm. would be great. Right. Right. But going every year is a real problem. And that's in part because the virus changes. Mm -hmm. And whatever vaccine you get, the virus then becomes slightly different. So it, 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 it's evading the effectiveness of the vaccine. So the next season, we have to change the vaccine. And there are huge efforts undergoing in labs around the world who sample all the flu viruses that are circulating and try and predict what's going to be next year's vintage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we're in the summer here in the northern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, it's winter. Right. So in Australia, they have winter. This, they're in their flu season. So we would look down there and see what's circulating because it's likely that that virus is going to come, come up here. Mm -hmm. And in January here in the northern hemisphere, every year we have to start deciding what's going to be the vaccine that we give starting in September. Right. So it's an imperfect science. That's one reason why the flu vaccine isn't 100% or even close to it. But it's just not a great vaccine the way it's prepared. And we've known that for years. The flu vaccine is one of the oldest vaccines that we have. It was developed in the 30s, mm -hmm. right? And the technology, for the most part, is the same. There are some newer flu vaccines that have been developed, but their efficacy is, is similarly poor. So we're missing something and people are working really hard to figure out what i was at a meeting in baltimore in june mm -hmm. of a group of people throughout the world who are working just to try and make better flu vaccines they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to try and make it better to get it from that 50 to 60 percent up to the 80 or, or 90 percent maybe once every 10 years right that would be nice. Yeah. Uh, and did I'm trying to go back in my like little mind time capsule to like six years ago when I was in your class. <laughs> um, did you mention something at the time about them trying to um, create a vaccine that worked on the part of the virus that did not mutate? Exactly. You remember really well. Yes. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's what we call the universal flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. In fact, this meeting that I went to, we talked a lot about that mm -hmm. so the there's a part of the virus that changes and that's why we have to change the vaccine every year but there's also a part that doesn't change right and so people are trying to get us 
to make a vaccine that that's against that part. Yeah. It's not straightforward, but people have some really good ideas. Um, and so that's part of the, yeah, that's the key. Find a part of the virus that doesn't change. And there, there are actually a couple of different parts. And many people are spending a lot of time and money on doing that. And this brings up the question, mm -hmm. why would you do this? That's what I was going to ask. Because it's a serious illness. Yeah. Many people can die every year of influenza. I mean, we, in some seasons, depending on the severity, we can have 50,000 deaths in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. And if you've had influenza, you know it's not pleasant. Right. I mean, it can be mild, but it can also be pretty nasty. It can last many weeks. Mm -hmm. But in particularly the very old, the very young pregnant women, it can be lethal. And that's why there is huge effort. For, into making a flu vaccine because it is a very, very common infection that spreads readily among people and it can kill you. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that, that people don't really think about <laughs> is the fact that it can kill you. Um, I, I also, there's a couple other whys that are coming up for me. Um, one why regarding the flu vaccination is um, why if it's only going to give you, if it's only like, let's say 61% effective this year, mm -hmm. why should I still get the vaccination? Well, even though, so that number is based on not getting flu at all. Mm -hmm. But when we say flu, it can range from pretty mild to death, yeah. right? So it could prevent you from dying. You might get a less serious infection even though the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting infection. And there's mm -hmm. some data that, that suggests that. Mm -hmm. So the, the wisdom is you should still get it because it will likely make your infection milder. And it will cut down the total number of deaths for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I even tell my class, you know, which is full of young people, mm -hmm. you, even you can die from it. Yeah. Even, though the, even though mostly we see very old and very young people dying, you can also die if you're 22 years old. Mm -hmm. For sure it happens. Mm -hmm. And if you want to take a chance with a roulette like that, it's obviously up to you. But since there's no negative to getting the vaccine, it's so cheap now. You can get it at your local drugstore. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should get it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about is like, and I... I think we can talk about this in several different ways is you're not only getting, and you mentioned this, you're not only getting the vaccination for yourself, but you're getting the vaccination for others around you. Right. For sure. That's yeah. You have to have some altruistic nature in you mm -hmm. for sure. And you know, there's a big debate whether nature can be altruistic or not, <laughs> but I'm, I hope always that there are altruistic people out there and yes, you should think of other people because the more people who are immunized for any of these microbes, the more people immunized, the harder it is for them to spread. Right. Because if I have a room full of 100 people and the, none of them are vaccinated the, and I throw a virus in, it's going to spread like crazy, right? Because mm -hmm. it'll go to one person, then the next one, next and the next. But if I've immunized them all and just, there are just three people whose, immu whose immunization didn't work for whatever reason, the likelihood they're going to be infected is extremely low because none of the other people can be infected mm -hmm. and transmitted to them. Mm -hmm. So that's called herd immunity. Yep. And it works. I, I have had many people who are anti-vaccine mm -hmm. tell me that 
herd immunity is a fallacy. It's never been proven. And that's, of course, wrong. Yeah. Of course it's been proven multiple times. There are multiple studies that have been done. Um, so you getting vaccinated will not only protect you, but will protect someone else. Now, the percentage of people that have to be immunized, so immunized is the word we use to describe you get a vaccine and you make a response that protects you. Mm-hmm. So the number, the percentage of people that need to be immunized and protect others varies, again, according to the vaccine, the virus, and the population. Mm-hmm. For some, like measles, you have to have 95% of the population immune to have this herd immunity effect. So it has to be quite high. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the concerns now with so many people not getting measles vaccine. We're going to get to that point where herd immunity is no longer effective, and then it's going to spread like crazy. Other viruses are down in the 80s, and it's a little bit easier to reach them. But let's say measles, if we need 95% of the population immune for herd immunity to work, you know, no vaccine is 100%. So that's hard to achieve. You have to immunize a lot of people. Yeah. So, yes, you're doing it not just for yourself, but for others. And some people just don't care. And that's that's hard to overcome, right? Yeah, it's really hard to overcome. During flu season, it's the nutcracker season, too, almost. Well, a mm-hmm. little before then. Mm-hmm. And you're, you are with... Um, tons of your castmates in very close quarters for weeks on weeks on weeks. Um, and if you, if one of your castmates gets the flu um, and is out and perhaps spreads it to other people, et cetera, um, you know, the, the whole casting lineup is going to be affected. So it's actually, <laughs> if you are not an altruistic human, um, think about it in terms of yourself mm-hmm. too, right? Sure. Because your yeah. castmates are going down, which means there's more work for you. You know, if you do, if you do a collective effort like that, yeah. where the, the role of everyone is important, then an infectious disease could really mess things up. Yeah. But I have to tell you, I started teaching my class in uh, January. Yeah. And from day one, there are people coughing oh, yeah, and are. sneezing. And then, of course, at the first exam, I always have emails that, oh, I got the flu. I'm sorry, I can't make this. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? I'm in a virology course and yeah, I yeah. got the flu. And it's a f- class full of 100 students. And that coughing is spreading by aerosol virus particles. Mm-hmm. It's going to infect other people. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was one of the days I sat in the back row where you came in and you had Maybe you, maybe I'm making this up, but I think you had a cold and you said, oh, I could be infecting some of you in the back row. Yes, I had, um, I can tell when I have a, a common cold. So a common cold is different from flu. Sure. Common cold is restricted to your upper tract, right? Sore throat, runny nose, a little bit of cough. And I can tell when, when I always get them and I can tell because you start getting that scratchy throat mm-hmm. and that's the start of it. And mm-hmm. then you get the hoarseness. And so I came in, I'm sure. And I said, um, I could be infecting a lot of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't influenza. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. was. I haven't had benign. influenza in ages. I yeah. get the vaccine every year and yeah. I've been very lucky that it's worked well enough every year. It's mm-hmm. great. I highly recommend it. And I should say. I mean, I do research on viruses. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an academic. Mm-hmm. I have no affiliations with companies that make vaccines. I make zero money off of vaccines. I wish I did, but I don't. <laughs> I have no sponsors of any of my podcasts that are vaccine companies, mm-hmm. but yet I promote them. I 
try to explain them why they're good because they work. They do. You know, our life expectancy from the 20s to to the current day has mm-hmm. increased over 50 years because of three things: public health, mm-hmm. toilets, and vaccines. Public health, toilets, and vaccines because there are fewer bacteria, etc. Well, you know, in the in the uh, late 1800s, New York City in the morning, everyone would, would take out their chamber pots and throw them Dump on the street the yep. mm-hmm. before we had toilets and plumbing. Right. That made a huge difference. And pub- that's part of public health, really sure. telling people that, you know, you need to wash your hands and cook your food properly and all of that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you know, our first vaccine in the 1930s, well, actually, I should say it was much earlier, it was Jenner's smallpox vaccine mm-hmm. in the 1700s. But Most of them started in the 1930s, and that has resulted in us living longer. They work. They do. Um, Do some vaccinations have any kind of side effects? Yes, there are are quite a few side effects, most of which are pretty mild. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, after the first polio vaccine was, was released in 1955... There were a number of children who got polio from the vaccine because it wasn't prepared properly. Mm-hmm. And so since then, uh, the FDA has put into place methods for making sure vaccines are, are made properly, and they're constantly monitored. There's a vaccine adverse event reporting system, VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. Mm-hmm. You can find a website. It's run by the CDC. And they will, for every vaccine, tell you all the potential side effects that mm-hmm. you can get. Mm. Most of them are redness at the inoculation site, right. soreness. Um, who was just telling me, yeah, someone who got the shingles vaccine, he said, yeah, my arm was sore when I pressed it. Well, you know what? That's good because that means you're having an immune response right. because that means cells are going in there to try and see what's the foreign object. And when cells go into a part of your body it swells and Mm -hmm. it hurts Mm -hmm. all of that's good so redness and fever and all of that those are very common side effects Mm -hmm. and they're still reported because people report them to this system but they're actually a sign that the vaccine is working working. pause for a second one just want to clarify Mm -hmm. you said there's redness at the side of the inoculation the inoculation is where they have Got the injection, you. right? Um, and then the second thing is, you just said that fever um, is a side can be a side effect of some vaccinations, um, like f- fever, as in like like a little bit of malaise for twenty four forty eight hours, or like a full full blown illness. I I think full blown illness is very very rare. Mm-hmm. Now th- there are certain medical conditions that are contraindications to vaccination, mm-hmm. like immunosuppression. And sometimes people don't know they're immunosuppressed and they are vaccinated and they have a more serious reaction than right. you normally would see in the general population. Mm-hmm. But just a slightly elevated fever, perhaps for a day or so, mm-hmm. can happen with Because when something's injected into your muscle, it doesn't stay there forever. It gets into right. the circulation. And right. the cells that are responding to the foreign material that's been injected they release substances that are soluble and that can cause fever and a little bit of malaise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But these are transient and, right. and go away. They're never life-threatening. I'm 
I'm feeling like this would be enough to preclude someone from getting a vaccination from just from the subset of individuals that I've heard from. Mm. But I kind of want to reiterate that like this, the one to two day fever is small potatoes um, in comparison to uh, the illness that you could actually get from the thing that you're being vaccinated for. For sure. No, depending on the disease we're talking about, I mean, all the vaccines we have are meant to prevent diseases that can be serious. Mm-hmm. You know, if not life-threatening, they can alter you substantially. Polio can paralyze you. Yep. Measles causes immunosuppression, which makes you susceptible to other infections. Virus can also get into your brain and cause encephalitis. You can have long-term cognitive and motor consequences. Mm-hmm. So there are serious effects, and that's why we vaccinate against these illnesses. We don't vaccinate against everything, right? But we've found we've picked the ones that are very serious, and which the benefit of of being vaccinated hugely outweighs any negatives, any sore arm or slight fever, right. for example. Absolutely. I mean, I noticed that a lot of people feel there are very, very serious side effects of vaccines. Like the whole, um, oh my gosh. What autism. Autism, that's what I'm looking for. So there would be Wakefield. Uh, autism. I mean, it, there, there are tons of different, sudden infant death, many, many other mm-hmm. serious effects. But, you know, these are reported... And CDC follows them up, and in most cases, they can conclude that they're not caused by the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So here's a story that illustrates it. A professor at a university brought his child for a diphtheria immunization. Mm -hmm. He had to wait online. Mm -hmm. He waited a few hours. He got tired of waiting. He brought the child home. It was a very young child. Mm -hmm. That evening, he put the child to bed. The next morning, he found the child dead in the crib from sudden infant death syndrome. Mm -hmm. If the child had been vaccinated, you could not convince the father that the vaccine did not cause SIDS. Right. SIDS happens randomly. Right. And if you immunize many millions of people, they're going to coincide just coincidentally. Right. (laughs) Right. Correlation, not causation. Exactly. Yeah. Now, telling someone that, and... I have people tell me all the time, my my child got the vaccine and this happened and that happened. And I can tell them that doesn't mean the vaccine caused it, but it would be better if I could explain what did cause this to happen. But uh, how can I do that? It's very hard to do. And in some cases, in very rare cases, you could say, oh, this happened because of this. But most of the time we can't. And that's why people... I still have suspicion because right. things happen coincidentally. Right. But I can tell you that the vaccines that we use, they are scrutinized. If there's any ever issue, ever an issue, they're withdrawn. Mm-hmm. An example would be the rotavirus vaccine. The rotavirus vaccine is given to young kids to prevent diarrheal illness that mm-hmm. would kill them. Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, the first rotavirus vaccine, there was a slight increase in a intestinal problem that was observed very, very slight. Now, this intestinal problem is also observed with a natural infection, and the vaccine was an infectious virus vaccine. Mm-hmm. So they saw this slight uptick. They immediately withdrew the vaccine because of the adverse event reporting system. So if anything happens consistently that's serious, 
it would be detected. So none of this, there's no autism, there's no sudden infant death, nothing else that you can think, chronic illness, mm -hmm. there are just dozens and dozens of things that people blame on vaccines. They're not caused by the vaccine. Right. If they were, we would withdraw the vaccine. Right. Um, another question, steering in a slightly different direction. Uh, can homeopathic remedies take the place of vaccination ever? This is a question I've heard. Well, I don't see how they could because homeopathic remedies have no microbe or microbial components in them. Yeah. So the only way that we can prevent illness is by vaccination. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been tried for you know, 100 years now. We know it works. Mm -hmm. So no, I mean, you may feel that homeopathy is what you like for yourself, but, you know... The, the research clearly shows that it doesn't impact infectious diseases. So if you choose to not vaccinate at all, you may run the risk of encountering a microbe. Now, you may be lucky in that most many infectious diseases, are in, at least in the U.S., their numbers are very low because we do vaccinate. Mm -hmm. But if you travel, you know, there are over 100,000 cases of measles a year in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. There's yellow fever, Ebola, depending on where you go. So... Right. Of course, for Ebola, we don't have a vaccine yet, but we're going to. Mm -hmm. And you can bet that people in Africa will take that vaccine because they know if they don't, they're going to die. They're going to die. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, there, there is just no doubt that the vaccines work. Every negative thing you have ever heard about vaccines, I have never found a single negative aspect that would convince me to not vaccinate my children. I have three kids. We had three kids. They were all vaccinated for every vaccine that was recommended. No adverse effects aside from soreness or redness or fever and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I would have zero hesitation. Again, I don't make money right. <laughs> off of vaccines. <laughs> yeah. I think they work and they will keep you and your kids healthy. Yes. Before we turn on the mic, we were discussing how... Um, there's a lot of unreliable information, and that's mm -hmm. where some of these people hear these these tales of vaccines containing toxins and yada yada. You know all these things that we've talked about. Um, where would you suggest? And I know you have some really excellent podcasts, so we could turn to those. But where would you suggest that people look to get more information about vaccination, vaccines? So my podcasts are, are a little difficult i would say mm -hmm. uh, we do talk a lot about vaccines um we have had vaccine specific episodes in fact last summer we had one which we recorded in irvine california it was called vaccines work whether or not you believe in them uh -huh. and we had three vaccine experts who said so many interesting things about vaccines like one thing, one of them pointed out is that there was an island somewhere where they didn't use measles vaccines, and then the measles vaccines were introduced, and there's never been any autism on this island, mm -hmm. ever, mm -hmm. before or after the measles vaccine, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, good to know. We talked about, um, you know, vaccination and needing to go to school and so forth. I mean, so I think some of those episodes are good, but there is a wonderful book by Paul Offit, Paul Offit and Charlotte Moser, and it's called Vaccines in Your Child. Mm -hmm. And it is beautiful. 
in its simplicity. It covers everything. It covers some of the things we've talked about today, like what are vaccines? Why do we need vaccines? How do vaccines work? What steps do companies go through to make vaccines? How do we know their work? Mm -hmm. Can I avoid vaccines by living a healthy lifestyle? Why should I trust a system that makes money for drug companies? Is it my social responsibility to get vaccines? Are they safe? What's put in vaccines? How do I know that aluminum is safe? Mm -hmm. Is there mercury in vaccine? And this one, how do I sort out good from bad information about vaccines? So he gives a list of websites that you can go to. Um, Now, he sent me the PDF of this. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to send it to you, and you can send it to anyone who wants. He told me once, because someone had a question, and he said, just send them the PDF. So he doesn't mind not selling it. He's happy because this information is so important. He's happy to get it out. So you can tell your listeners if they want it, you can email them this PDF. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Now, Paul Offit is a pediatrician at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. He developed a vaccine, the rotavirus vaccine. And so a lot of people say, oh, he gets rich on vaccines. Of course he's going to write a pro-vaccine book. This is nonsense. I've met him. He's not rich. His clothes are ragged. (laughs) He does this because he's a pediatrician. He wants to save lives. And this book is full of wonderful information. You know, can we give kids too many vaccines? You know, it's really interesting. This is one of the arguments people make. Oh, I don't want to give my kids 20 vaccines in the first few years of their life. Well, the smallpox vaccine developed in the late 1700s and given from then until we eradicated smallpox in the 1970s, mm-hmm. that was so contaminated that people were getting far more components in that one vaccine than they get today because today's vaccines are so highly purified and mm-hmm. refined. Mm-hmm. So it's really not a problem to give kids a lot of vaccines. Some parents say, well, I don't want them to have so many shots. Studies have been done showing that if they have fewer visits, it's less traumatic than if you spread them out. Right. So all these arguments really fall apart if you look at the studies that have been done, and they're all really nicely summarized uh, in this in book. PDF. So uh, vaccines in your child, and it's really written in a, in a very straightforward, beautifully simple way. Um, he, here's another thing that, that he writes. The greatest risk in getting vaccinated is driving to the doctor's office. There's more mm-hmm. risk in driving mm-hmm. than in having a vaccine side effect because driving is an extremely high-risk enterprise, right. right? Absolutely, especially here in New York City. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to one of those uh, chapter titles that you mentioned, Can I Avoid Vaccination if I or Vaccines? I can't remember the exact words. If I Live a Healthy Lifestyle. Can Yes. Um, let me find it here. Can I avoid vaccine, vaccines by living a healthy lifestyle? Yeah, you want to know more about that? I sure do. All right, I'm going to actually go right to the per- point there. Okay. All right, so some people believe li- living healthy, so eating good food, exercise, vitamins, is enough to avoid infections. And he says, well, good nutrition is important. Immunity can only be obtained by getting infected or being immunized. Right. So you could get infected naturally. And in fact, many anti-vaxxers say it's better to be infected Mm -hmm. naturally. There is zero evidence for that because you're going to get sick. 
Right. <laughs> if you, you get polio, you can you could get paralyzed. Right. So the price of natural infection is too high. Yeah. So here's a good example of why a healthy lifestyle doesn't work. Franklin Roosevelt was an active young man. He used to exercise all the time. He was from a wealthy family. He ate really well. He got polio. Right. So it doesn't help to to do all of that because the only way you can prevent infection with polio, measles, or influenza, or chicken pox, or mumps, or rubella, or papillomaviruses, or any of the things we immunize against. You can tell I'm a virologist because I only <laughs> mention viruses, but there are plenty of bacterial vaccines there yeah. as well, is to be vaccinated. Now, living healthy is great. You should still do it, but it's not enough to prevent right. infectious disease. Right. You have to augment your uh, immune system. Yeah, and you can't, be, as I say, you can't be naturally infected because that has consequences. The risk right. is too high. Right, right. Uh, so that's that's the key to vaccines. The benefit far outweigh the risks because you're not likely to get sick. Now, I should say that there is one vaccine that is problematic in mm -hmm. my view. Mm -hmm. But none of the people who tell me they're against vaccines ever talk about it, which tells me they don't actually read the vaccine literature, and that's the infectious polio vaccine or the live polio vaccine. The Sabin polio vaccine is also called OPV, oral polio vaccine. Mm -hmm. It's a vaccine I've spent much of my career working on. One in one and a half million kids who get that vaccine will get polio, mm -hmm. and that's why we stopped using it in the U.S., and that's why the World Health Organization is slowly moving away from it globally, and we're going back to the injected vaccine. It does cause polio. It's a defect of probably the population because it's a perfectly fine vaccine, mm -hmm. but in, in a certain percentage of people, there's something about their immune systems that can't deal with it. And so obviously it's too much of a risk, especially if there's very little polio. So that is the one vaccine I would say is problematic. But all the others should, do not cause the vaccine they're intended to, to prevent. Right, the illness. Will you... Um Will you remind me one more time of the website where people can go to look at the... Um, the podcast that... Um, no, oh, the potential side effects for each vaccination. It started with a V, I think, right? V-A-E-R-S. Mm -hmm. um, so this, if you just search for V-A-E-R-S, which I'll do now, V-A-E-R-S. So it's V-A-E-R-S dot H-H-H-H-S dot gov. That'll so be in H the podcast yeah, notes. HHS is Health and Human Services, the uh, the agency, right? Mm -hmm. And va vaccine adverse reporting system. And you can file a, an event if you have a vaccine, and you have something weird happen. You can go there and and file it, and mm -hmm. they'll investigate it. Mm -hmm. And you can see everything else that's been reported for that vaccine as well. It's a great system. Most of what's reported, though. Is just stuff that happens in your life, and it happens right. to happen when you get a vaccine. Right. Again, that whole correlation versus causation moment. But if they see a pattern, mm -hmm. they'll investigate it. And if there's really something wrong with a vaccine, it'll be withdrawn. But it very rarely happens. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there's a conspiracy, that scientists are conspiring to give vaccines to the population, to, this is... This is wrong. It's you can't get scientists to agree on anything. <laughs> no less a conspiracy to harm people with right, vaccines. Right. I just don't know how to emphasize it more that 
whatever bad you think about vaccines, it's it's not true. Right. I've spent my career thinking about it and working on it and researching it, and there there's just good. There's a lot of good from vaccines, and and all the bad that people think about who don't want to take vaccines is simply not correct. So if you come across literature online that says absolutes about how you should not not vaccinate yourself, your children, et cetera, we would encourage you to vet it, eh? Well, I would first, yeah, I would. The problem is that if you search for vaccine in Google, probably the first five pages are all going to be bad sites that have misinformation on them. They're not going to be some of the good ones. I would encourage you to look in the Offit book mm-hmm. for, the, for the websites. You can start at the CDC. They have very good information on vaccines for the lay public. Now, a lot of people don't trust CDC. And all I can say is that they have made some mistakes over the years, but they fix them, and they have no reason to make errors on purpose. They, they really are there to help us. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of good information about vaccines, but the Offit book also has lots of good websites that you can look at. And if you find something uh, that seems outrageous, it probably is. Right. And people can always email me and ask me. I'm happy to answer questions. You can provide that. You can provide my websites where they can then get in touch with me. I absolutely will. Is there, as we're kind of starting to wrap up here, is there anything else that we missed, any big points that you want to bring up? So we have covered a lot of good things. We've we've covered um, why it's better to be vaccinated than to get naturally infected. We've mm-hmm. talked about... So a lot of people think that drug companies are in it for the money. They make a lot more money on drugs right. to treat your illness and all, you know, and even over-the-counter stuff, they make a ton of money on. Vaccines don't make a lot because you get them once or twice in your lifetime. So the idea that they're becoming enriched is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. In fact, many of them get out of the vaccine business because they can't make enough money on it. So I think that's nonsense. We've talked about... The fact that it's not bad to give multiple vaccines to your child. All the side effects that you hear about vaccines, with the exception of the polio and poliomyelitis, are, are, are incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that um, I mentioned to you, uh, someone emailed me about the use of aborted fetuses yes. to make vaccines. This yeah. is a, you know, there are tropes that come up in the anti-vaccine um community all the time the same ones over and over and i see this on twitter and i just i I don't know what to do with it because i think they're just repeating things that they hear we don't use aborted fetuses to make (laughs) vaccines what that comes from and i can tell you exactly what it comes from i'm gonna i'm gonna go to paul off he's paul off it has this in his book it's on page uh, 85 Uh, so there's that then there's another one there's uh DNA. I don't want to get DNA from vaccines. Let's do that first. Okay, yeah, please. DNA is everywhere. Right. When you eat food, you're eating the DNA of whatever the food came from, whether it's a plant or a fungus or an animal. You're eating tons of DNA. It's probably in your water. Mm -hmm. It's in beer. You're drinking yeast DNA. So this idea that you're getting foreign DNA injected into you, First of all, there's so little DNA in vaccines, except maybe for the DNA of the pathogen that's in the vaccine. Mm-hmm. It's insignificant. Mm-hmm. And you're getting far more in your daily life. So that's crazy to think of that. Okay, fetuses. 
Are vaccines made using aborted fetal cells? That's what Paul offers. So in the early 1960s, we grow viruses in cells. Mm -hmm. In the laboratory, we grow the cells in culture, and then we use them to make uh, vaccines. That's how they're manufactured. In the 1960s, two elective abortions, one in Sweden, the other in England, some cells were obtained from them. And they were used to make two cell lines that still exist today. They're grown continuously. And one is called WI-38 and the Mm -hmm. other is called MRC-5. Mm -hmm. So these are common cell lines that are used to grow virus vaccines. The abortions were done once in the 60s. Some cells were saved and those cells exist today. It's kind of like HeLa cells. You know, Henrietta Lacks mm-hmm. died in 1951. We took some of her cells, and they still exist today. It's not like we're going back to Henrietta every time. We're not going back Ooh. to fetuses every time. No. <laughs> yeah. So that's the origin of this fetuses. It's not really a fetus. It was It's cell lines that were made from fetuses. And these have been used to make rabies vaccines, rubella, chickenpox. They're in very, very few vaccines nowadays are are made in those cells, but a few are. And some people object to this morally because the origin was an elective abortion. Now, the Vatican has come out and said it's okay. (laughs) The Pope actually took this on because many people were objecting to getting vaccines because of this. And the Pope said, you know what? The original abortion was bad. You know, we don't like that, but the use... To save lives is absolutely acceptable now. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing additional abortions to do this, so it's fine. So that's the origin of that myth. Well, it's not a myth, actually, but it was a one-time thing. It's not perpetuated. Right. Um, So if you hear someone say vaccines are grown in aborted fetuses, it's not right. Correct. That's a game of telephone. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Um, You have... You've given us a lot of great, great tidbits, A, but we'll definitely keep, um, I'm going to, people can uh, email us or email you to, to get Paul Offit's book, um, and I'll put the VAERS uh, website in our show notes. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcasts mm-hmm. and also um, about where to reach you? Okay, so I do a lot of stuff online that, people can easily find Mm -hmm. um for example i blog so people some people like to read so i have a blog where i write a weekly post it's at virology.ws and there you could my email is there vincent at virology.ws and i often i write about virus related things uh there and there you'll also find links to the virus podcasts as I release them. So This Week in Virology is all about viruses. Um, all of my podcasts are at microbe.tv. I have This Week in Virology, This Week in Microbiology, This Week in Parasitism, This Week in Evolution, Immune, and more to yes. come. So if you like listening, uh, that that's another thing you can do. I'm on Twitter, ProfVRR. I'm on YouTube as Prof VRR. I'm on Instagram at Prof VRR. I'm on Facebook as This Week in Virology. And all of these places I use to teach about viruses, mostly viruses. But mm-hmm. some of my podcasts are about other things, but there I have experts in the other fields as well. So it's really my goal to 
try and inform people about what goes on in the science of uh, microbiology. I really enjoy doing that, and a lot of people have benefited from it. So you can contact us at any of those places. And if you, as I said, if you have questions about vaccines, if you have a story, let us know and we can look into it for you. We'll explain if, it's, if it makes any sense or not. I'm happy to answer questions. Yeah. And he's a, a great resource and a, a great teacher. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for six years ago. <laughs> it was <laughs> My a great pleasure. class. Um, and, uh, and you remember things. It's really good. Yeah, because you, you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also sitting, I think this is worth mentioning, I'm sitting in front of the wall of polio. Can you can you tell us about that? Uh, I'm going to take your picture in front okay, of the wall. Okay, great. We'll put um, it the, in show so, notes. so the wall of polio is uh, it's a wall of um, plates that we use to assay polio virus in. So they're cell cultures. They're called six well plates. So there are six little wells in each plate, and you have cells in each one. And we do what's called a plaque assay, mm-hmm. where we measure how much polio virus is in in the sample. And this was a very big experiment. It's 1,600 and some plates Mm -hmm. that was done by a a postdoc of mine many years ago. And and when she had done, she said, what do I do with these (laughs) plates? I said, well, it's a shame to throw them all out because she did the whole thing at once. Wow. That's a lot of time. So I said, why don't you build a wall? I had been visiting somewhere where someone had built a small wall of of plaque assay plates. Mm -hmm. And so she built this big thing in the lab. And eventually the fire inspector said we couldn't have it there because it blocked the aisle. So I just rebuilt it in my office. And so that's what's behind you. And I I talk about it a lot. And I find it's a teaching point, right? Mm Because people then say, what is it? Can you explain? And so I can explain a little bit of science. And people, if you remember when you took the course, I mentioned it. And people come here for office hours. I have dozens of photos of students in front of the wall of polio. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun yeah. to do that. Yeah. It becomes a kind of destination. And people who listen to my shows or who, who see the photos on Instagram, say, can I come visit when I'm in New York City? I said, yeah, you just let me know so I can be here. <laughs> Someone said the other day on Instagram, can I just come and see it? I said, no, it's not a public thing. You have to make sure I'm here. But it would be cool if it were in a museum. It would. But I don't know. Someone said it's uh, it's my masterpiece. So that might be true. Yeah, or your, who was it? What did you say, an intern? No, not an intern. A, um, my postdoc made postdoc it. Your postdoc made it. Sorry, yeah. definitely not So that's intern. what that is. And you're sitting in front of it as you were recording here. I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks again. I appreciate my you pleasure. joining us. Um, to our listeners, I hope you, you learned something and took something home. And I encourage you to reach out to Vincent with any questions you have. So thank you. And... Take care. My pleasure. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help us to pay for SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. 
And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.